Hello, Donna. Hello. We meet at last. We do. We do. And would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, my name is Maurice Whitaker. Um, I write psychological crime thrillers. Um, I've only been a writer for less than a year. Um, I've had three books published all since May last year. The Magpie was the first one, The Devil's Line the second one, and this last week, The Mad Hatter Murders. Um, my background is in television and films. I was first um, a makeup artist for many years, so I'll be chopping heads off there as well. So still doing crime quite often. Um, and then a scriptwriter for television and also ran a television production company with my husband. So I've been making up stories like for all my life, but I've never written any. I've written, obviously I've written scripts for TV, but never written a novel. And um, it's such a different world. I have to take like a closed world. It's like the secret world of novel writing. And the, lots of people think, oh, well, if you've written for television, it's be that easy. You just come over and write a few books. But no, it's, and I have to start from scratch. Um, and how these ones came about was um, I picked up a leaflet from my local library, which was um, advertising um, a crime writing competition called the Lindisfarne Prize for debut crime fiction. Uh, and you probably know Newcastle Noir run it, and I live in Northumberland. And I just put it in my pocket, and then we went on holiday to the Canary Islands. And the COVID lockdown started two weeks earlier in Spain than it started here in England. And so we couldn't leave the hotel. And then I sort of got the leaflet out, and I thought, well, wow, here's the time to try writing the novel. And um, I wrote it and got it in on the last day. I was able to get it in and I didn't win it. I was runner up, I wasn't the winner of the Lindisfarne Prize, but there's a funny story to do with that actually. That has just happened in the past few days. Um, I didn't win it. I was runner up, but um, I finished the novel and started pushing it around to um, publishers. And as I'm sure you know, there a lot of them don't even answer you. They don't even just don't want it. It's like, don't expect to hear from us. We so don't want it. And I have to say that would never happen in television. I was quite surprised and shocked. It seemed a very rude world and a very close world that you, if, you, if you're not in it, you're really outside of it. But anyway, I persevered and um, Bloodhound Books um, took me on and offered me a contract. So that was a dream come true. And then when we were talking, as I was still in shock, um, Betsy Reevely, who runs Bloodhound, she said, it sounds like it could be a series. Would you like to see book deal? So, um, I said, yes. And then um, because I'm used to writing television scripts and there's a very quick turnaround on them, um, we agreed to do two. And she said, would you like a rest after the second one? And I was like, no, no, no problem. And so um, so we put in the dates. And once you've got your deadlines for your different edits and things, and of course, I've never been to a copy edit in my life before. I've been through um, the process that, that scripts go through, which is a similar thing, I suppose, much more verbal because you're face to face with people. Um, and so it began. And so um, before I knew it, I was writing three stories, editing two of them when I was doing the next one. So it's um, so, so I haven't seen anyone for years. The house is a mess. Nothing has got to an except writing. But it's been a really exciting journey. So um, I've just finished this third one. So it's the last in that series. And I'm starting a spin-off series now. So that's mm -hmm. me. <laughs> um. I'm ashamed to say I haven't read any of your books yet. But... You've got quite a lot of books to get through. Um, but I'm going to be sending you one. Oh. Week. You've got to read it now. You can't not. <laughs> okay. I'm on camera. I will read your book. Yeah, I promise. Um, they're, dark thrillers. they're very dark psychological thrillers. 
Um, they're very much on the, the noir end of the scale, but there's also some dark humor and there's a romance that runs all the way through as well. That was right up my street anyway. But the thing that has always drawn me to your books and that they've been on my radar since probably you first came is your covers. Without question, they're the coolest covers. Oh, fantastic. Well, the Mad Hatter one, I really love that. And I, I think when I was talking last night um, to this audience of people who, who might like to write books, but I haven't quite managed it yet, we were talking about covers. And what I didn't know, I suppose you don't think of these things until you're writing, is that a lot of authors don't get any choice in their book covers at all. They have no say in it whatsoever. Um, but with my publisher, you do. Obviously, you've got a limited amount of control of your cover. And you've got to accept that, that they know a lot more about these things that you do from a selling point of view. Um, but in my first book, it features a teddy bear and very much part of the story. And, um, it, and I based it on my teddy bear, which has got one eye. It's blue, it's not brown. And um, so when I was asked what I might like for my cover, I was like, Bleh. I really would like a teddy bear. What I didn't want, it's called the magpie, and I didn't want the magpie on it. I thought, not a pleading cover with a magpie on the front, anything but. And I quite like this teddy because it plays such a big part in the story. And so uh, I sent a photo of my rattled little filthy blue teddy with one eye and a hole in its stomach. And, uh, and from that, the designer made the cover, um, which wasn't at all what I before I'd ever written a book, I don't think I would have thought that was the cover, but, um, but you know, now it is, and I love it. The second one, The Devil's Line, um, was quite interesting because the first cover, I asked for it to be changed because, of, as I say, they're very action-packed and scary stories, and, and I wasn't sure that the picture on the cover um, conveyed that. Um, and I said, it's got to be scary, and I shouldn't have said the next thing, this clown comes staring at me, a terrifying clown. And, uh, a lot of people said they were quite frightened by it. And that was an interesting thing because some people have really got a thing about clowns and they won't touch a clown. There's an author, um, one of my publisher's authors and they'd, um, they've got a book coming out and um, there's a, a brilliant design on the front, but it's got a huge spider on. And before they finalized the design, they, they put it out to all of us authors and said, just checking, would anybody not pick this book up? And most of us went, oh my God, no way because you think the spider was so brilliant, it looked like it was going to run up your arm. So um, I think they've changed it. And we're going, what about cockroach? What about those silly conversations um, end up, you end up having about your books? Um, but yes, that one, I mean, there isn't a clown in the book, but it was just to convey that there was somebody scary who seemed like child-friendly. Um, yeah, so it's interesting, the book covers. And I love the one now. The only thing about the one now is I think people can think that it's, pretty, pretty and romantic, but again, it's still a pretty story, albeit gone a bit mad, because it takes place on a film set, which is very colourful. Um, in the story, the actors are filming um, one of Lewis Carroll's stories. So we have murders all around the film set um, involving Alice in Wonderland characters. And so trying to keep the grittiness, I mean, I think my editor was a bit, why are you sure about this? I really wanted to go to the extremes with the third one, because the second book was so, based very much on real life and very gritty. It was about County Lines, drugs and children. And it's a very real issue. I mean, since I've written that book, I've been invited into schools, the police, and to chat about County Lines. I'm certainly the County Lines expert from all the research. So I wanted to go lighter with this. And so it is very real from my background, because I'm used to people walking around in costume, holding trays with their breakfast on and what have you, before they film. But trying to explain that that, that is real 
and not go too far away from the, the gritty side of things was a little bit of a challenge. But we got there. We got there with the support of my editor saying, I think that's a bit too much. It's like, no. The good thing about it, um, when you write your book, you'll find, is um, you get to a moment where I've got the same editor, my brilliant editor, all the way through, and really supportive. And um, you're terrified when you get your first copy edit. Oh my God, you see all these squiggles. What does that mean? Um, but they write little notes on, like, if they find something funny or encouraging. But on the third one, we were having a conversation about one of the main characters. And he actually said, I'm not sure we'd do that. And at first, I was a bit indignant. How very dare you? And then I thought, this is actually wonderful. This person doesn't exist except in my head. I just made him up. Now we're having a conversation about what he would do. So that, that was the kind of success story, really. So I was pleased about that. Um, do you hide any secret jokes or messages or Easter eggs in your books? Um, mostly with, um, no, mostly with names. And as I say, they've nearly got me into hot water once or twice. But um, yes, friends, all friends want to be in the books and they always want, think they're going to have a glowing future. They're normally dead, hanging from somewhere or, you know, a giant sword stuck through them. And um, what I do like to get in all of my books, it's a bit of a signature thing, is a water cooler moment. And in television, a water cooler moment is like a little fact or a little gem of knowledge that the next day, while you're by the water cooler at work, you'll go, did you know that? Did you know that? So when I was doing the second book, The Devil's Line, that was out in November, um, and doing all this very dark research on drugs, what I discovered was that in Suffolk area, a few years back, um, the local scientists were checking the um, freshwater rivers, just checking them for all the bacteria in and the little creatures in there. And there were a lot of freshwater shrimp in, in the rivers. Every single sample of shrimp was coked up to the eyeballs. And some of them had ketamine as well. So it's drugged up shrimp floating around the water. So that was one of my water cooler moments. And when I see people who've read the book straight away, they, if I meet them for lunch, they go, nope, having shrimp. We're not having shrimp ever again. So um, I do like to get, so I get those in. And also um, what's become one of my signatures is I always have music in the opening scene of my books. And that came about because um, the inspiration for the magpie was a group called The Unthanks who um, sing a wonderful song called The Magpie, it's a beautiful song. Um, but it's based on the old medieval rhyme about one for sorrow, two for joy, three for one. Um, and that, obviously, that's part of the, the main plot line, the deaths in my um, first book, The Magpie, follow that song. So um, it's mentioned in the book. And then something people might not think of if they've never written a book, but it's a good top tip for the day, is if you're going to have something, if you want to mention both the group, and the song, there could be copyright issues. Now in television, when we were, it's quite normal in television so that we either have a license to use some music or we commission our own music so it's designed for us. But it hadn't occurred to me that in a book of, obviously it's a living group and it was right near the end of the copy edit as well. And Ian, my editor said, it's copyright issues because you've named the group and the song. So oh, but it's an old nursery rhyme. Who's, whose song is it? So um, I managed to get hold of the Unthanks and said, you know, can I use your song? And they said, well, the, um, the lyrics, the, the second and third verse are um, a different composer. So off I went to him. By the time everyone said, yes, we'd love you to use our song, which was very kind of them, I, I'd strapped it. 
because I thought um, there's an audio deal already for this book and I thought oh, the licensing issues on that might be difficult. Um, Russian translation rights have just been agreed to all that. It's a good, it's a good thing to have. So, um, so for that one, um, and the magpie is the song of the magpie. On the second one, there's a bit of music. In the very first scene, before a child who is a drug dealer who's only 13 um, walks to her death, and it's a bit of piano music playing on um, a station concourse. So, you know, it's like there's your pianos before COVID. You could go down, sit down, and plonk on them in the station. Um, and this one is a tune called Pavan for a Dead Princess, and, it, and she's listening to the music, and it has a meaning for her anyway, because her father's a musician, it's her favourite bit of music, and just after she hears it, she's pushed under a train. <laughs> so, each, so that's become, almost without me trying, it's become a thing, I always have a bit of music. Um, when I worked on, um, for example, Hollyoaks, way back in the day, I have to say, not recent Hollyoaks, um, there were normally three plot lines to each um, episode. And before the opening credits, there were three tiny little shots. And each shot was a taster for the plot line. And the writers had to come up with a bit of music that encompassed all of those three plot lines. They had about a week to do it. And there was panic, you know, people trying to get musicians. They had to get agreement of all the musicians. So it was even a famous bit of music. If one of the musicians was in upstate, God knows where, there was a race on to get them. So um, so because of writing for television, I immediately visualized the books. And so music and the visuals are really important. Is that what you asked me? I just ramble on, don't I? <laughs> yes. No, yes, great. <laughs> You're answering questions that I'd normally ask as well, which is great. I love it. <laughs> I love a cup of tea, I have a pasty. <laughs> <laughs> you see it. Oh, like, yeah. you see, see it here. <laughs> um, if you were to choose a character from any of your books to take out for a meal, who would you choose and what would you ask them? Um, I'd probably I'd take all I'd take three of the core characters. Can I take three? A group. Um I love all of my main core characters. One of them I take out actually is a bit unusual. She's um, called Boo um, Mensa, Bedwa Mensa. She's um, a, a undercover, former undercover police officer, and um, she's now a wheelchair user. And I chose her because my um, brother was born with cerebral palsy, so he's always been in a wheelchair. And it kind of aggravates me slightly that whenever you see people who are um, have a so-called disability that as a saint, so this, you know, tiny Tim characters. Um, so um, she's a very feisty character and very witty, but she's always taken off the side, like my brother, side of skirting boards with the metal on a wheelchair. And um, if she's in trouble, she takes up a footrest. We've all injured with footrests in our family because a footrest on a wheelchair can really like break your ankle. Um, so that comes in handy sometimes. So um, yeah, I think I'd like to go out for, um, for a drink with her. Um, and what would I ask her? Uh, well, you'd have to read the book to understand why, whether she had any regrets. <laughs> um, if you were to fictionally kill someone, how would you do it? Like you as a person, not uh, characters, your books? I've just killed somebody with a vocal sword, which was a six foot long sword through their stomach. How would I kill them? Oh. I'm, I'm a recently retired magistrate, so I shouldn't really answer this. Um, 
<laughs> oh, that's a good question. I'd have to think. I'd actually have something a bit artistic. I might kill them with Greg's pasties, Danny. You know how they can. You can eat too many of them. Put quite overdose on them. Yeah, death by pasty. That would be a poison pasty. I have poisoned somebody in this um in this particular um last book, Mad Hatter Murders with a eat me cake, you know, fairy cake with eat me on. So um that was quite good. The magic mushrooms. Oh yeah. <laughs> I've tried them all. I've tried some more. <laughs> I know what I probably use in real life. I've got one of those um, Jamie Oliver pestle and mortars and they're really heavy. And quite often when I drag it out with both hands, I think if anybody comes in this house and then they're not invited, it's the death by Jamie Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Jamie, he's such a gentle guy as well. That <laughs> yeah, not surprise me. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and if you were fictionally murdered, who would you want to solve your case? Boom. My dear side, Billy Wilde, who's the star of all my um, books. She's young and she's feisty, and uh, she's she's got some very dark problems herself, as all of these novels, all of the characters have. They're all interesting, but they've got a dark side, even the good ones. Um, and nothing will stand in the way. And she she gets into a lot of trouble always. Um, and she's very vulnerable on the inside, but she doesn't let anybody see that. And certainly, if I was in trouble, I'd be calling on Billy Wilde, Wilde by name and Wilde by nature. I think you're only the third person that's ever chosen their own detective, which <laughs> I find really interesting. <laughs> yeah, she's mad. I've lived with her for a year. <laughs> yeah, I trust her. That's good to know. <laughs> um, and if you were to team her up with someone else to solve a case, who would you team her up with? I already have a team up with uh, C.S. Um, Ashtangera, who's, um, who's a kind of bag man, a wingman. Um, he tells terrible jokes, Christmas cracker jokes. So um, they're a good team. Um, so I would, I would have to do, I would have to team her up with my own other character. I'm afraid. <laughs> um, what's your most overused word or phrase when you're editing your books? And 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 all the time. And it's amazing how often you can repeat the same word in a paragraph. Your brain must just get into this kind of gear. And we were talking about it the other day, um, some of us authors on a, a different interview, um, how often we name, we pick on a character name and we just use it all the time. So, so we've never thought of it before. Mine was Lola. And so my editor pointed out in every single book, I've tried to call somebody Lola. And once in the same book, twice. It's like, hey, here's a good name, Lola. Never thought of that before. <laughs> I don't even know anybody called Lola. I can't imagine how that came into my head, but it won't get out like Lola. Um, yeah, so um, so fantastic. I mean, you couldn't live without your editors. And I would certainly say if anybody's watching this who um, are self-published authors who haven't actually gone ahead and published yet, and my hat off to them, I don't know how they do it. I'm really in awe of self-published authors. Um, always get a copy editor to go through your work beforehand, because even if you think it's perfect, even when the copy editor thinks it's perfect and the proof editor's checked it. Um, on my last one, a second proof editor just before the digital um, copy was, the digital thing was done, suddenly one little word popped up and it, it wasn't necessarily wrong, but they said, would you just like to double check you want this? And I didn't. Um, so I think people are quite frightened um, about the editors until you've come across them. Because again, it's a secret word, isn't it? You don't know what's gonna happen. You think they're gonna tell you off badly. 
and uh, and you're going to be really embarrassed. I hadn't let anybody see any of my work, so the editor was the first one. And the fact that they were chatting about my character was like, oh my god, they believe them. Um, but but yes, yeah, rely on them because they spot things you couldn't dream of. I mean, my editor, we we even have a conversation because the main characters um, lived in the village of Almas where I where I live, and it was a historical fact that clearly I knew I live in the village. But the editors even check that to make sure you're certain you've got your facts right. Um, so I was astonished at how much work they do and really grateful to them. I might not always, always sound like I'm grateful to them, but I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, you said you've only been writing a year, so if you made lots of author friends in that time. Yeah, that's been the most surprising thing. Um, about the writing process once you've been published. When you haven't been published, it's, as I say, there's like, there's like metal doors all the way around that nobody can get into. And also you think it's quite a scary world. It's a bit highbrow. Like the world of television, people talk normally and, you know, they're a bit daft. But um, in the world, when we're looking online, how to, even how to submit your, um, you know, submission to a publisher, it's like Warren Peace, you've got all these, these rules and regulations and you think, my goodness, why do you have to be like this? And then when you get through the golden door and you're in there, um, the most surprising thing is the other authors become your friends. And certainly in our um, publishers, and probably in all publishers, you, you popped into a private group with your other authors. So um, when you're stuck, especially when it's your first year and you don't know things, you only have to shout for help and everyone moves in and helps you. And on your um, publication day, the other authors, you know, they share Twitters and and also the book bloggers. This is a whole new world to me, and it's wonderful. I mean, I made, made a lot of friends amongst the actual book readers and book bloggers. And it's a really warm and supportive world, I find. Um, so, yeah, that's been the biggest surprise. And I think a lot of um, authors who aren't published think that they've got to compete with the other ones. And, of course, the biggest the thing you're told straight away, like and my genre of crime writing, um, make friends with the other crime writers, which we do naturally anyway, because you know, talking about murders all the time. Um, because whoever likes their books may well like yours, and everyone shares each other's books. So that, that has been the best thing of all. Yeah. yeah, it is lovely, isn't it? Yeah. And authors are weird. So yeah. you will just belong together because you will weird. <laughs> mad. And the thing is, suddenly it's all right to be mad because your madness. Your eccentricities make you have your unique take on things, which is the essence of what people need in books. And somebody was asking last night, how do I write one? What do I do? And I said, just write your book the way you want to write it. Don't try and do it the way anyone tells you, because then you've taken away the very essence of what is going to get you published, really. Your oddness. <laughs> your unique madness. <laughs> it's the author widows I feel sorry for. The husbands and wives left behind that have to put up with it. <laughs> Man who was a leading television producer. He pops his head in the door at the minute and he brings me biscuits and tea. And biscuits and tea. He's like my pet slave. It's one of the from the shops. And I'm kind of slumped over uh, the computer writing. More tea, more tea. Yes, you do feel sorry for them. You know, people just go, do you want to go for a walk? Can't. I've got a deadline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course, yeah, we're not socialised so well because we're just in a darkened room shivering away to ourselves all the time. And then people, I have to say, just do something to your head up. Yeah, I think I've killed 21 people this year. 
So, um, yeah, you need a break. I'm having a little, um, I've asked to have a little gap before the next one is published, just so I can become slightly normalised again. <laughs> and are you planning on going to any of the festivals this year? Um, I, I haven't planned to go to any of the main ones, possibly because of COVID. Um, just don't know what's going to happen, but I have, I'm going to be interviewed in a festival in Richmond in Yorkshire in September, which is really interesting. It's, it's called um, the Walking and Book Festival, and it takes place in the beautiful town of Richmond in Yorkshire. And um, the person who asked me to do it is um, a former television presenter who, from the northeast of England, and years ago, in between cutting off heads for films and things, I'd go into the local studio, where I also met my husband, actually. He was coming in for makeup for a television performance. Um, I'd shoot the newsreader, and so we I'd do a makeup, and we'd have gossip every night when I was there. And uh, and she's um, she's asked to interview me for the on the Richmond Book Festival. So we'll have a gossip the other way around, so she's going to be interviewing me. Um, there's also lots of little book festivals popping up. I mean, you've probably got loads around you. Um, or maybe it's just because this is a new world to me. I didn't know about There's one down the road in Malford. They're all over the place. Um, so um, I'll probably be going to some of those, yeah. Um, I don't know about the big ones, probably. We've got London Book Fair coming up, of course, which I've never been around at, but we're, um, some of us from Bloodhound Books are meeting our new owners in uh, big Americans have taken over the world. Um, and we're going to be in London for that for a reception. So that would be interesting as well. Yeah. Yeah. You, I, you go to all of them. Don't you tell me which one's the best one to go to then? Which um, one? I'm going to, well, I'm helping to organise Tales on Trent in Stoke um, in May. There's a good reason to come down. My, daughter, my granddaughter lives in Stoke. Yeah, it should be amazing. Um, it's just, and it's multi-genre as well. And all the authors are just amazing. We've, there's 62 authors, I think. And I've had to do little short interviews for them. And they're just awesome. They're just great people. And we're all super excited. And I've never met, the, well, most of them actually. And it's run by a charity called Changes, which is a mental health charity. Um, and I go to a book club every Tuesday night for them and I've not met those people and I've known them for over a year now and I class some of them as like my best friends yeah, and yeah. I've not met them and I'm just gonna be like ah so yeah I'm so excited for for that um you and then the lockdown meeting all these people like you know virtually but you've never met them I managed to get somebody um um well not managed I didn't do it for them but um the the writer who won the Linda's Farm Prize the year I did couldn't get a book published anywhere just couldn't and couldn't but because I, I walked through the golden door, you know, you get publishers all over the place, copy editors, and I kept sending, I never met the woman, but I kept sending them her, her wig and try this, try that, just keep on trying. Try. And she was saying, I'm going to give up. And then there was one last week, and I think he was being interviewed by you, Donna, so I was watching that. I said, why don't you try Red Dragon? And she's just got a contract. So thanks to you. If you hadn't been interviewing him, and I hadn't seen it, she wouldn't have a book published. Oh, that's amazing. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, you have a lot of people coming running at you going, Donna, if it wasn't for you. And um, you don't realise it, you see. Yeah. No, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't have a clear, yeah. Um, oh, that's lovely. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I met her last night for the first time in the flesh, like I'm running over to her. And she said she couldn't believe it. And I said, I just thought on Donna's thing. And he's a, he's a new publisher and looking for writers to try it. 
yeah. Yeah, I've got, I'm going to Harrogate. Um, I went to that last year for the first time. I'd heard about it um, and then I couldn't afford to go. And then um, COVID. So then the first year that I could go, which was last year, I went and I loved every second of it. And I got home on Sunday uh, at six o'clock and by nine o'clock I'd booked my hotel for this year. I, I loved it. And I know, I think you've heard of Linda Checkley. I think you sent her, I met her for the first time and ended up spending a weekend mostly with her at, at Harrogate. And it was just awesome. Just on your blog, it's very important to us, uh, authors. And um, almost kind of more famous than the authors, really. But you just don't realise it, because everyone knows you. You might not know them all, but they're all looking at you. Excellent. It's <laughs> I come to Harrogate. I've done that part for me, really. I'm in Northumberland. Yeah. Yeah, it's it is incredible. And um like I said, someone said that I'd know all the authors because yeah, I do these interviews and there's just people walk past and like, is that an author? I'm like, I don't know. And I was looking at someone in the distance thinking I recognise him. I really recognise him. Why do I know him? It was Simon Koenig. I've read his book since the very beginning. I love his books. Didn't didn't click at all. Yeah. I know. Have to act with author on my name is, but you know who they are. As with the faces, you're inside their books, really, aren't you? You're not looking at the face as much. So, uh, yeah, we said we're going to have a book next year with author photo and their name so that we can quickly have a look and go, oh, that's that person. But then you've all got buddy pseudonyms and stuff. Oh, like Steve Mosby. I met Steve Mosby and I didn't really, well, I knew, I think, just before that he's Alex North. Um, and he wrote The Whisper Man, which is amazing. And I went up to him and said, can I have a photo with you? And he's like, why on earth do you want a photo of me? I'm like, because you wrote one of the best books that I read last year. Why wouldn't I? But he was so humble. It was so sweet. Well, it would be. Also, really, when they hear that, you know, it's just unbelievable. Because it is an odd thing making things up your head, in your head. And first showing other people so that, you know, you're worried that people go, you're absolutely off your mind. They're going to drag you away somewhere. Um, and that other people have read it and they've sensed it to begin with. That's, that's a really big thing. I think that the first one, I didn't realise that my um, paperback version of my first book was going to come out before the official um, publication day, which is electronic. Yeah, new author, I have no idea. So um, what happened was um, people had got the, the paperback and were showing up on Facebook. And I think I had a few tears. I was like, oh, my baby, it's gone walkabout around the world. I mean, it was turning the ball over the place. And then that is a magic moment. And people only have to say a few nice words. I think if um, readers realised how much reviews mean to all, just not even long reviews, just a few little words. You think, oh, somebody's taking the time. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's, yeah, I've, I never used to, um, you know, because I've read since I was old enough to. But since I became properly involved, and now I review everything. Absolutely. And make sure... <laughs> Find out how needy we all are. Don't we? Yeah. <laughs> people who live in, you know, live in a room, darkened room, all, all year. <laughs> Your quivering, insecure little wrecks that need constant reassurance. <laughs> <laughs> even the big authors, even the pretend. <laughs> <laughs> imposter syndrome. We were having a chat about that, and the most few authors, and everyone, every single one of them. Nobody said no. I think I'm brilliant. Everyone thought everyone suffered from imposter syndrome. And couldn't believe that somebody wasn't going to find them out very soon. Yeah, um, the last festival I went to last year was Bloody Scotland, um, which I'm going to again this year because, you know, why not? 
That's got me. Yeah. Um, and they had um, Linwood Barkley talking to Stephen King. Right. And even Stephen King said, every time I send a book off to my editor, I'm scared that he's going to send it back and say, what the hell is this? What is this rubbish? Yeah, no, I mean, it's 60 books, 40 of which have been turned into films and TV. And even Stephen King's like, every yeah. time, oh, my God. So, <laughs> you know, you <laughs> must have to be like that to be an author. Insecure. Yeah, maybe I was. That's mad though. I couldn't get my head around that. Mm-hmm. And then him and him with Barclay started comparing toilet stories of their times in trailer parts, and it was just bizarre. So it's a very strange experience, but awesome. Everyone's mad. Who's not? So that would happen. Yeah. What's the first one you're going to, which is your first festival of the year. First is Towson Train in May. That's a new one. Are you going to be very busy? You're not going to have time to do interviews if you're doing all that. You have to do live interviews going around. Oh, I'm doing panels, apparently. Oh, good. Yeah, the person organising it's like, oh, we're going to do panels, and, you know, would you mind? I'm like, <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> I'd be really interested to just like a panel um, and just find out what, you know, what you need from the authors as well, what would be useful to you when to do your thing. Yeah, so everybody yeah. knows. Yeah. Yeah. Terrifying. Because they're doing, I do this, but that's different because that's in person. <laughs> so... <laughs> no idea. You're good on Zoom. You can do Zoom. You can do it in person, can't you? I think it's hard. And I work in television, but I don't like doing Zoom at all. I mean, this might be the second Zoom thing I've ever done, actually. <laughs> but um, yeah, so you'll be fine. It'll have to be now, when I? have agreed. <laughs> it's all sorted. <laughs> so yeah. That's a big thing to organise, though, isn't it? With that many writers, trying to keep control of them. Yeah, um, the uh, waiting list was just as long, or if not longer, for people that wanted to come. Um, it was very much spare of the moment, sort of, like, oh, we're thinking of organising, you know, book festival and stuff, and then it's just gone nuts. Absolutely no, no. gone nuts. Maybe it's really we've been um, reading or something, because, or whether it's just that we're in that world, that we think everybody's reading, but yeah, but... As I say, there's lots of small festivals popping up in this area for the first time, and they're immediately maybe sold out, which is good. Yeah, I don't think there's many around here unless I just know, don't know about them. I live in Bedfordshire, yeah. and well, most, of, most of my author friends are up north, and not just a little bit up north, like way up north. Very annoying. It's so I'm far away. I am in Scotland. <laughs> Just over the border from Scotland, so yeah. But um, we didn't have many here, and uh, apart from Newcastle Noir, which is Newcastle's 30 miles south. But but even in little towns nearby, like Morpeth, which is a market town, it's the first time they've had their book festival. Trevor Woods talking there, and lovely Trevor Wood, so pop down and see him. Um, and yeah, so that'd be good. I think I'm doing it next year. They love me. So, hmm, so it's a new world. Entered a new yeah. world. I think three times I've tried to meet Trevor. I um, We were at Harrogate and we never crossed paths. Then he was supposed to go to bloody Scotland and he got COVID. And then I was supposed to go to Bay Tales and I couldn't afford to get there. So three times we've supposed to, and it, it just hasn't happened, which is so annoying. But he is lovely. I don't know. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a sweet, really nice guy. Um, if you were able to spend a day with any author, dead or alive, who would you like to spend the day with? time with an author, Val McDermott, who lived, um, she lived in the same village as me in Almas. So I've spent time with her, not a whole day really, but um, she used to walk along the beach thinking of murder. You have to be careful not to cross her when she's a murderess. And now I, I walk on the same beach thinking of murder. Um, so I've spent time with her, but not a whole day. Um, I have some friends who are authors, so I'd like to spend with them. But I think some of the new authors that I've met, like... Uh, Nathan J. Moss and Kerry Beavis and uh, a lot of the gang that I've met, the Bloodhound gang, um, they're real good laughs. So I'd like to spend time with them. Rather, it doesn't matter if they're big, big names or not. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you like to do when you're not writing? <laughs> we do not write. I live right near the beach and also in the deepest countryside. So we do a lot of walking, a lot of eating, going out. I mean, obviously since COVID, you can't do anything, any. But and traveling, we normally travel and we're, we're, we're soon, we're going abroad again at last. Um, but traveling a lot. And um, um, the spin-off series I'm doing, a lot of the first series was set in Northumberland because the first book was for um, Newcastle Noir. So um, the entry has to be set in this area. Um, with the spin-off series, I'd be able to travel far and wide. So that'd be interesting, going off researching abroad. Yeah, so, so that's what I like doing most. Um, if you're able to travel to any period of time, either forwards or backwards, where would you go? I think um, I quite like the Victorian era. Yeah, probably Victorian England. Um, yeah, England and Victorian times. Not sure about in the future. Mind you, when you look at 1984, we're past that now, aren't we? So far past it. So we're in the future, if you've read that book at the time. Um, yeah, I've got a sort of um, affinity with Victorian things. So yeah, sometime in Victoriana, if I was rich, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, that is the caveat, isn't it? You have to be rich if you go back. So, yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd be in for an awful time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, what was the first concert you ever went to? first concert I went to, I think it was a Slade concert, that's showing my age, and it was at Newcastle City Hall, um, and I was about 15, I think, yeah, so it was in the 70s, and it was all that sort of thing, but yeah, that was my first concert, and we also, um, being near Newcastle, um, Lindisfarne, a group called Lindisfarne, who were very famous in the time there, and they used to do Christmas concerts, which were fantastic, um, back in the day, um, yeah, but Slade was my first, and funny enough, I met I was working with some jukebox jury with uh, Jules Holland and uh, Noddy Holder and Dave Hill were the mystery guests. So it was quite funny from seeing them as children, you know, as a, a teenager to actually giggling behind the scenes because people were flagging them off and they were the mystery guests. So um, they're really nice people. But what was your first concert? I saw, no doubt, when at some weird um, festival when I went on a um, student exchange um, in Germany when I was 13 and then the first proper concert was maybe Bon Jovi <laughs> because I worked when I was a makeup artist I worked a lot of the time on the tube back in the day so of course you've got lots of um, 
lots of famous pop stars in there, you know, um, Bono, UB40, well, you name it, everybody. And I remember we had somebody, I can't remember the name, the pop star now, he was very big at the time, and uh, girls were even trying to smuggle themselves into the studio because this fella was like, you know, the hero of the time. And I had this small, spotty, I do remember his name, but I'm not going to say it now, small, spotty, spotty young man on my seat. And I came up doing his makeup, and I came, well, I don't even know who he is. And he went, I'm so-and-so and so-and-so. I thought, my God, smuggling himself in the laundry basket for you, dear. <laughs> but that was quite good fun because um, when we did the tube at Newcastle County's television studios, um, the pub next door was very famous called the Egypt Cottage. And all the... Um, groups would fall out the studio and go next door to the only pub. And so it was, um, it was one of those weird times where there's such a mix of groups. And I, although I looked punk at the time, I had very white hair with pink and blue ink because I was younger. Um, I like classical music, so I didn't know who anybody was. So I was trying to match them up by what we're wearing and things. That was quite funny. Yeah, so it's quite a privilege to do all that, I suppose. Yeah, I was born. Um, and I was just born. stories and I rule the world. <laughs> yeah. I know, gutted. I was born in 83, so I miss so many legends of music, and I'm gutted that like, I'd love to go back and be a teenager and see some of the massive bands and stuff of the 80s. Yeah, you could come I can have my life. I know when we used to do the tube there, um, there was also a children's program called The Roxy that was midweek at Hankey's Television. It was very much a place for. Um, pop and music because Malcolm Gary, who's been a, a head miss, headmaster locally, he came and produced the tube and went on and, and ran Endemol. And I think his son, Ross, who worked for us for a bit, uh, Bono's his godfather and what have you. But anyway, on the, um, on the children's program, the Roxy, you had the same big bands. They're like number one that week in the charts, but the kids would see them. And a lot of the, um, the big, um, groups they preferred the kids show because the kids were so open they go oh you're crap or you know oh we like you and there was no pretense or anything the kids were told that it wasn't and these kids had such an opportunity coming from local schools they came in on the bus and it was like a little mini tube so they saw all the things and of course it was a time in the um early 80s and 70s where there's lots of color and glam and they all wear makeup and what have you um yeah so that was, was fun it's a shame you can't come back to my world, but it makes you a lot younger, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, I know we had the Spice Girls and Barbie Girl and stuff. It's not quite the same, is it? <laughs> I wonder if Robbie Williams was my first concert. You know, I think Bon Jovi was first. That's yeah. gonna. <laughs> I've done Bon Jovi's makeup many years ago when he was well again when he was young. Very nice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've seen him twice. It was awesome. Mostly they were really like old. And, uh, I, did another, I did a lot of pop programmes during the 80s. It was very much an era for pop programmes. There was one called, what's this called? I can't remember the name of it, but it was done in um, Granada Studios. And we were out in Alton Towers. We did, uh, where people like um, Sid Vicious would come on um, and look very scary. But once you got them in the makeup trailer, where we used to kind of, you know, all pretense was stripped away and, and really nice and normal. Um, it's quite often the people around them who can be quite scary and demanding, but the, um, but most of the pop stars themselves were really pleasant. It was like young lads normally, you know. Yeah. Yes. 
Um, so you said you're having a little break, but are you working on anything now or soon? And what's coming next for you? Um, well, having the break in that I don't have to um, deliver until July, but I am writing the next book. But because it, because the first one went off to a very speedy start from nothing, it's like da 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 da. Oh my God, I've got three books. So um so and it, and I'm really fortunate that they've turned out well and and they're getting good reviews. I'm astonished. Um, but I'd just like to now to gather my thoughts about it all and plan more carefully and also develop my writing. It was very much like, what am I going to write about next? Oh, yes, I want to write about this. Um, but really um, enjoy it, but control it a little bit more. And also I've got my website, which, which was made for me and I haven't even looked at it. So it's all that just kind of getting settled in this new world that I'm in, even doing this and talking to you. Um, it's, it's all been very quick. So. Um, so yes, so I am very much researching and planning and starting on the next one. I already know how to start and what have you, but now I've got the luxury of thinking carefully about where I wanted to go. So um, yeah, so that's what I'm doing now and traveling a bit. Awesome. Well, I can't think of any more questions for you, unless you think there's anything that I haven't asked you that you want to tell us. I don't think so. Just say thank you to everybody for watching today, if you're still watching, and, uh, and to, Anybody who's read my book, a huge thank you. I really, really do appreciate it. And uh, it's really, it's been a wonderful experience. So um, thank you for having me, Donna. You're welcome. So before we go, would you just like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you and where they can get your books from? Um, on my website, on my Facebook author site, Maurice Whitaker author. Um, obviously Amazon is the quickest way to get everything. Um, all the books are on Amazon. Um, they also can be ordered from bookshops. And um, as some authors will know, this can be an odd thing because it's to do with um, the wholesalers. Sometimes they come up weird prices. And so a lot of people end up getting them on Amazon. I've been very lucky locally because then um, I got some of my own books and there's a wonderful set of um, really gorgeous delis and um, gift shops where I live because I live in a, an area where tourists come. And uh, they were thrilled to take my books. So they've taken the loaders in there, signed ones, I signed them. Um, so people over in Northumberland, there's lots of places where they can buy them all. But otherwise you can order them from nearly any bookshop and uh, obviously you can get them on Amazon. Brilliant, well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> I'm absolutely thrilled to meet you at last and hear the budgies. <laughs>